For those who remain, I would invite you to join me in your Bibles in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. We are going to read the 40 from 41 through 52. Luke chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival had ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was with the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother, mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I do wonder who noticed him first. Maybe it was one of the other children. Maybe it was his childhood best friend, Biff. Maybe it was the local girl who had a crush on the carpenter's son. We can all hold off calling child protective services at this point. Mary and Joseph don't get the unfit parent award just yet. It was a big group of people who left Jerusalem that day. You didn't just make the 65-mile trip from Nazareth up the hill country into Jerusalem by yourself. You didn't just go with a single family. The whole village traveled together. For, for days before the week-long festivals, they, they made the trip in in ones and twos, and uh, they began to gather in Jerusalem from all over the country. And when it ended, it was like a football game, everyone trying to get out of town as fast as possible. Maybe it was one of the older teens who had been put in charge of all the children. After counting and recounting, after going to the roll sheet and seeing who had signed up, noticed that one was missing. Eventually, a discussion would have ensued, and, and all of the people who were supposed to be helping, and eventually one lowly spokesperson was chosen to fearfully announce to Mary, we've lost Jesus. Of course, the parents panicked. I panic if I lose Yvonne in the Walmart. I, I, I start, my mind goes to some very dark places. I think she's been abducted. And I'm going to have to renounce all of my pacifist convictions and go up all on Liam Neeson on those perpetrators. You see, I have a particular set of skills. They, they mainly involve turning pages. I panic whenever I lose my keys or my wallet or my cell phone. 
but I've never lost a child. The same cannot be said for everyone in my family. The story is told of a particular district assembly when when my youngest was was there in the hotel at the district assembly and and ran ahead and jumped on the elevator and pushed the, the down button before his mother could show up. She she said she relating it to me later, she got to the them right before as they closed and and she's like, I was a little concerned, but I, I wasn't gonna run down the stairs. You know, it's it was after all a hotel full of Nazarenes. The, the probably the worst thing that could happen to him is if somebody found him, they would pray him through and and maybe give him too much food at a potluck. In that moment, though, the mind starts going. Uh, unfortunately, Mary, uh, all the Nazarenes had left Jerusalem. So, so I can only imagine the hysterics that she went through as she realizes that her only child is alone in that great big city. And your mind starts going in all these irrational directions. Well, it was the aliens or the Russians or the Babylonians. What if he's hurt? What if he's scared? Who's going to monitor his screen time? For three days, they search. Each day, a little less hope. Each day, that swollen city shrinks down. Each day, there are fewer places to look. There was no FBU or FBI. There was no missing persons unit in the Roman garrison to help them. Finally, at the point of exhaustion, the the weary parents find themselves in the temple. They go there to throw themselves at the mercy of the king of the universe. And there he is, sitting calmly with the teachers and the elders. If the priests hadn't already been amazed at at Jesus' instruction and and learning and, and his inquisitive nature his display of of questions, they would have definitely been amazed when his mother showed up and started to hug and beat him at the same time in that terrified way that only a mother can administer. It's not just Mary and Joseph, though. I think that we sometimes lose Jesus. I remember a couple years ago, it was a Christmas Eve, and I, I turned on the, the morning news that day just to see if the world had ended, to, to see if I could get out of going to church. You're, you're not the only one who does that. And there I was sitting, and, and I think it was Good Morning America, and they were having this story of, 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 a, of a family that had lost their major scene, Jesus. It had gotten abducted from their front porch, their front lawn. And there they were on national television pleading for the safe return I remember the host, you know, these good the morning hosts, they, they have to feign sympathy in these ways. And they, they were sitting there nodding, hearing the, the plight of this family. And, and the host asked them, so, so how are you dealing with this? And I remember thinking, dealing with what? It was a piece of yard decoration two steps away from a pink flamingo. Must have been a slow news day. They had lost Jesus. I hear this culturally in, in our, our annual refrain when, when we get into the war on Christmas, the, the talking heads get outraged by happy holidays. People start running around screaming, we lost Jesus because there's not a manger scene on the courthouse steps. 
as if the essence of Christianity is found in a plastic figurine that can be bought for 30 bucks at Big Lots. Of course, maybe on a deeper level, what we lose is the Jesus that we want. Maybe it's the, the Jesus that we want, this Jesus that is safe and contained, this lawn ornament that we can proudly display to let everyone know that we're in the club. Maybe we want that passive Jesus that demands and asks nothing of us. Maybe we want a, a strong Jesus, victorious and powerful, a Jesus that, that's going to make us first and leaders of society and successful. Maybe we want a Jesus to storm in and conquer with sword and chariot and stealth bomber. Maybe we want a Jesus that justifies our faith with some kind of brazen display of his power, his putting his miraculous nature on display, proving to all the naysayers that sleep in on a gloomy January Sunday morning that we were right all along. Of course, this morning, our passage from Luke gives us no ground for such desires. Here is Jesus and he is anything but miraculous. Here is Jesus as an ordinary 12-year-old child with all the hair-pulling arguments and talking back. Gone are the angels declaring his birth. There are no bowing shepherds. The magi gifts are long away. There are no voices from heaven. There are no acts of power. Just a normal preteen boy lost in a big city finding solace in the temple. Wise? Yes. Astute? Sure. A, a marvel of, of insight? Absolutely. Miraculous? A few years ago, uh, archaeologists made a big discovery. They, they found the, the gospel of Judas. And, and I remember there was a huge media blitz about how this was you know, revolutionary for for Christianity, and it was undoing everything. The media got involved. It, it was a, a big, you know, the thing is they, they messed it up. It, they, they found this really important archaeological evidence, the gospel of Judah, but it, Judas, but it doesn't change who Jesus was. There were, there are many stories uh, from that first century that describe who Jesus was. There were many gospels. We, we have about 50 of them still surviving. And they bear the names of, of, of the uh, first century saints and apostles. The Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the secret book of James, the Apocalypse of Paul. And each one of these 50 different Gospels, 50 different stories of Jesus, they, they tell it in a different perspective. Many of them, especially the ones that we don't have in our Bibles for very good reasons, they they include stories of Jesus as a child, of Jesus doing miraculous things, of, of him taking a lump of clay and, and making a living bird, of him healing friends, of, of him raising pets from the dead. What's interesting to me is that Luke, as he goes out and gathers all of his material, as he sets out to give an orderly account, he must have had access to some of those stories but he doesn't include them. What he gives us is a very ordinary picture. 
a gifted and wise child, but still a child, a little snotty, a little argumentative, a little obtuse about what everything else and everyone else around him is doing. I know none of you can sympathize with that. None of you have had 12-year-old children before. This is a picture of Jesus, fully human, who grows and develops and increases and changes. The, the Pope Benedict XVI, and this was the Pope before Francis, he, he gave his final Christmas Day sermon before he stepped down. And he spoke of the God who becomes small. The one who, in infinite power, threw the stars and scattered the galaxies across the universe. The one who spoke words and formed continents. The one who plunged his hands into cold earth to shape lungs and kidneys and bones and hair. This great and powerful one has become small, has become lowly. God became insignificant. Granted, at the beginning, some of his glory slipped out. New stars burst forth from the sky. Angels erupted in song. But God became small. God rejected all that we would have him be. He renounced fame and power and control and became a servant. Becomes normal. Gets lost in the big city. And I wonder if at times we don't try to make Jesus into something ironically more. I wonder if we don't try to, to lift Jesus up and make him into a, a candidate or a social issue. I wonder if we don't slap his name on our causes and tell, every, tell everyone else that, that Jesus wants us to be happy and rich and successful because that's what we want. I wonder if we don't put Jesus in the therapist chair and charge him with making us be well-rounded individuals. And as we add and shape and add and shape until we have Jesus with all of the trappings that we want, and we form a God in our image. Fred Craddock tells a story of uh, the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church. Back in the 1960s, there was a, 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 all representatives from all over the world gathered in Rome, and, and they started talking about the church and, and the direction of the church and what they wanted to be. To be. And, and this conversation in the 60s produced some of the most radical changes that the church had seen in centuries. And so as they were, uh, you know, the, as they were looking at that, they know that whenever you change a church, it makes people mad. And so Rome started sending out representatives to talk to the priests, to, to gather them in conversations, to prepare them for, for what was going to happen. Craddock is, it was a, a Protestant. He was a member of the Disciple of Christ Church, but, but he was asked to join a, a Jesuit priest on one of these teams to go out and talk to other priests. Since the changes in the Roman Catholic Church involved more preaching, they figured that a Protestant preaching professor could, could do some good work for them. During the, the first session, he was sitting there on the front row because he was going to take part in the discussion. And, and out on the platform came his, his Jesuit friend, Father Moynihan, and he was barefoot. And there on the stage, surrounded by all of the priests and their, their garbs and collar, he was wearing a 
uh, little white wash trousers. Uh, he was wearing a white T-shirt. And that was all. And he looked out on the priest and he said this. He said, I am 54 years old. And I have spent most of my life with my back turned to the congregation as I minister to the altar. And now my church says, turn around and face the people. I spent most of my adult life hiding among the incense pots and the candles, doing my work as a clergyman. And now the church says, come out and be with the people. I have been spent most of my adult life saying the Mass in Latin, and now my church says, speak English so that the people can hear. And on and on he went, describing all of the changes that were coming. And as you, He came to the end and he said to the priests that were gathered, he said, as you can see, I have been stripped of almost everything. All I have left is God. Fred Craddock, one of the greatest preachers in our modern age, sat there on the front row in a pool of tears. How true, not just of Roman Catholics and Protestants, but of every human being. In the final analysis, all we have is Jesus. Not the Jesus we want. Not God in our image. Not a Jesus that fixes all of our problems and makes life easier. But a Jesus who is here with us as we grow and as we change. As we increase and decrease. A Jesus that knows us intimately because he became one of us. A Jesus who forms and shapes us into his image. Today the calendar has changed. I know all of you were, were, have been thinking it's 2021 since the first Sunday of Advent, but, but it is nice to, to have that calendar officially change and to be able to write a new date. And before us stands a new calendar year that is full of excitement and stress and, and uh, joy and annoyances. Before us is a journey that will challenge us and push us. Before us is celebration and tears. And I am so excited to be a part of what God is doing here in Wake Forest. I believe it is something big. I believe it is something worthy. I believe it is something that, that we are able to build and see God and celebrate together. But wherever God takes us, be it across the street or across the town or to the ends of the earth, this is where I want to end up, with Jesus and nothing else. Let us pray. Now, Almighty God, on this, the first day, first Sunday of this calendar year, may we as your people dedicate this next calendar year to your service. May we covenant with you and with one another to hold closely to Christ and to him alone and to be found by him and his grace. This we ask in the name that is above every other name the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let us worship.